0: Last week, I was really encouraged, those of us that were here, it was an amazing message. We continued through the Gospels again, we're going through the Gospels chronologically. Luke 7:18 through 35 it, Christian called it, Mending a Worn Out Faith. There's a lot of questions that Christian presented to each of us through that message. And I don't know about you guys, but these questions that were presented through the text and through Christian's message really challenged me. This story of John the Baptist reminded me of an important lesson that sometimes I think a lot of us forget that there's different seasons in our lives different seasons that we as Christians experience and have to walk through and sometimes extremely difficult situations come up we just heard of one a family sickness that's a difficult season that's a difficult time and in the story last week we learned about John the Baptist and how he'd been locked up in prison for calling out sin in another person's life. You know, John at that time started kind of questioning, Jesus, are you who you say you are? Are you really the Messiah? You know, when we walk through really difficult times and really difficult seasons in our lives, sometimes we can question. Our faith can waver at times, just as John the Baptist did. Now, this doesn't mean that we've lost our faith in Jesus. Don't ever make that mistake. That doesn't mean we've lost our faith in Jesus. But to have questions and doubt at times is natural. It's who we are. And this story in the Bible really reminded us of that with John. And it's great to be reminded because sometimes we think, oh, I had a doubt in my mind. Does that mean I'm not saved? No, that doesn't mean you're not saved. God is, you're held eternally. But it was a great, just a great reminder. I mean, John is Jesus called the prophet, the one who had baptized Jesus, the one who had known Jesus in the womb, had questions as a follower of Jesus. Think about that, you know, I don't think it it just reminds us, you know Sometimes we walk through some really difficult situation one thing I did notice though As John the Baptist faith is questioning Jesus, are you who you say you are? I mean even sometimes we don't have to question Jesus sometimes What if we're just questioning the calling on our lives, right? There's lots of things we can question But as John was pondering these things and these questions, what did he do? He came to Jesus Right, He sent messengers, went to Jesus, and he went to Jesus with these questions that he had. That's important, I think, for all of us, a great lesson. Then Jesus, we know the story, then ministered to John and reassured him that he was indeed the Messiah. So from last week, what should be each of our responses as we face questions in our lives? I think this is a great example. We must come before Jesus, and we can present these questions before Jesus, before the church, Even and then We can come in prayer We come in reading the word Christian shared that right when you're going through these really hard dark times as john was alone The last time sometimes you want to do is pray or get in the word which is counterproductive, of course But it we seem to work that way, don't we? But if you want to hear from jesus We bring them questions before him and we can bring them before him and he'll often answer us through the word of god reading our bibles and also Fellowship with other believers, being part of a local church. As we walk through difficult situations in our lives and we struggle, we can come alongside in a local fellowship. We can pray for one another. We can lift one another. We can uh, bring scriptures to the people. It's just amazing when you're part of a local fellowship how God can use that also to encourage us and to help mend our faith at times. So again, Jesus, he was speaking and doing these miracles for John the Baptist. And as this now has taken place, as this was all taking place, now, as we're going to pick up today, a religious leader, a Pharisee, has come up to Jesus and has some questions himself. So before we get into the main lesson, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this opportunity for all of us to come before you, Lord, in the study of your word. Lord, I just pray for your anointing of your spirit on this time, Lord, that you would just remove any distractions that would be on our hearts or our minds or Just anything whatsoever, Lord, and our focus would just be turned to You, Lord, and learning more about who You are through the study of Your Word. And Lord, that Your Spirit would just speak to us, Lord, and confirm who we are to be, Lord, and what You've done for each one of us in our lives. And Lord, I pray if anyone here today does not know You as Your as their personal Lord and Savior, Lord, that Your Holy Spirit would just convict them, Lord, and draw them to You, Lord. And Lord, they would come up to us and just ask questions: What is Jesus? What it is? What is it to be a Christian, Lord? So, Lord, as we learn about this parable, Lord. I just pray your Holy Spirit would speak to each one of us again, Lord. And again, Lord, I just ask for your protection over this time. And Lord, we just love you so much, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone got a Bible? Gonna need a Bible? So we're going to be in Luke chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home And sat down to eat. You know, when I first read this verse, it would appear to me that this man, this religious leader, obviously was looking to meet with Jesus. uh, Maybe to come to understand who he was, to learn more about him, which I believe this is true, obviously. He's invited into his house. But I also see that this invitation that this man has given to Jesus kind of came with a little bit of a motive, maybe a little bit of a Maybe not even a good one, necessarily, but there was some motive behind this invite to Jesus to come to this man's house for dinner. And as I studied, as I studied, I always, uh, what I do when I study is I look up, I read the passages, and I read them in every translation of the Bible, basically, that I have online. And then I take and I look up every word in the original language and look at the definition of every word. And it's interesting. Sometimes some of it really, you know, speaks to me to share. And this one was interesting. And I as I looked up and I click on it on Strong's on my computer, the word asked in this context came up a little bit different than maybe we would kind of normally assume. If you look up the word that's used there, and I'm not going to try to say it in the Greek, but if you look at the original word, what it means in this case is to interrogate by implication or to give a request. So when he says asked, there's a little more deeper meaning to the word, which is what this man was doing. He's asking Jesus to dinner, but he's asking them with a little more behind him. There's, it's not just like, hey, come to dinner. I want to provide you with a meal. He's asking them to dinner for a reason. And so this is the case here. And I don't, maybe if any of you ever had that happen, that someone invites you to lunch or maybe even dinner, and they even say, oh, don't come to dinner. I'll pay. I'll buy you lunch next week. Will you come? But you know something Maybe good or bad. It's not, I mean, it's not always bad, but you know there's an intention behind them inviting you to lunch, right? And this is, it isn't just to hang out with you and check in on you. There's an intention. I'd say it could be good or bad. It's not, I'm not saying one way or the other, but I think this is the case with this man inviting Jesus. There's an intention behind him inviting him to the house. You know, I think we all know usually, right, when we're invited with a kind of undertone or another intention, and sometimes, These lunch meetings, it's kind of hard to finish your lunch. (laughs) You lose your appetite halfway through the lunch when you find out why they invited you. Not always, though. So in this story, this Pharisee has invited Jesus to this dinner with possibly mixed intentions. And I believe this is probably truly the case. I think it was a little of both, perhaps. He wanted to know who Jesus was. So Jesus knew this. We know that Jesus knew this man's intention. He knew this man's heart. And he's accepted this invite, Just as many of us have accepted an invite to lunch, even though when we know that we're kind of being set up a little bit, maybe. So let's read verse 37 and 38 and see what's going to happen. When a certain immoral woman from the city heard that he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off their hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. So Jesus has arrived at this home. He's taken his place around this table. And I think maybe some of us have seen something similar, you know, being in Asia or maybe even some in the Middle East. Seen that there probably was no chairs at this house. I mean, we don't know exactly, but culturally there's probably no chairs. It was a low-lying table, which I'm very familiar with. And Jesus and everyone else would have been laying on their sides. I mean, I'm sure many of you heard this, stretched out, you know, feet out, possibly leaning on an elbow, eating with the other hand, around the table, just having conversation. I can picture this room and this taking place. I've actually seen this in many situations. I've joined on many times in uh, Myanmar especially. You get these low tables and you kind of sit around it on the mats and you have an extended time of conversation and eating. Um, I imagine this room was probably kind of dimly lit. The lamps, you know, the little lamps that you've seen going. And everyone's kind of looking, I'm, su- I'm assuming, and kind of wondering what Jesus is going to say. I mean, he was invited there for a reason. So they're all looking at Jesus. We're around the table. You're smelling the food, right? Food's coming out for Jesus here. And they're all looking to see what Jesus is going to say. Then the passage tells us, as this evening begins, this woman And we believe, and most people agree, this woman of the night had heard that Jesus was in this home, at this home. So now she's came to this home as Jesus was eating there, and she's brought this jar, this jar of perfume. But she at some point now, remember, she has heard that Jesus is in this home. She must have then went back to her place where she lived. She didn't carry this thing around with her, obviously, she had to go back home, retrieve this jar that she has owned, probably the most valuable thing she's owned. They say it's worth up to a year's wages. We've heard this. And then she's came back to this house. She's come to Jesus in this home that she wouldn't have been welcomed in, I'm sure. not At least, at least not that night with Jesus there. So this woman has now come into this home, found Jesus, and set at his feet and broken open this jar. So you can see the picture of this woman I I found on the internet. I think that's a good representation um, what this might have looked like. So she's now washing Jesus' feet with her tears, cleaning then his feet with her hair. And we're all here in Asia, so we know what dirty feet look like. Christian kind of shared that a little bit last week. We know what dirty feet look like. Then she's kissing them and anointing Jesus with this perfume or this oil that was worth possibly a year's wages. And just think about this. What a picture of worship. Could you imagine this? I thought of the tears. Because in the text it says, with her tears as she wept, she used the tears to clean his feet and then dried it with her hair. You know, I thought about this. That's a lot of tears. And I think it was a lot of tears. I have only wept one time, I believe, like this in my life. Only Once. And it wasn't over a death. It was over one time that I produced enough tears that possibly something like this could have taken place. Have you ever cried in such a way that you would have enough tears to wash someone's feet? Think about how many tears that would be. I have. I have one experience. And it was when I had encountered Jesus through the Holy Spirit, and it was his love that I experienced that caused this. It was at a time in my life right before we were going to head out to the mission field. And we had got all our stuff ready, and a lot of different events took place, and I said no. I said, I'm not going. I just, this is not what I'm called to do. It's a long story, a long testimony to everything. But the Holy Spirit spoke to me in this church that I had never attended in a way that he just spoke to me to be faithful. And my only response was repentance of my lack of faith. And, you know, that probably went on, that weeping of repentance before him for my lack of faith for probably an hour. When I was done, I was on the front row of the church, on the pew, just a puddle. It was ugly. (laughs) That was ugly worship, right? That's what this lady was doing. That was ugly worship, but the most beautiful thing Jesus probably could ask for, wasn't it? This woman was worshiping Jesus without reservation in faith somehow we don't know the whole picture of knowing who he was and what he was to, to do she has now laid everything before jesus in worship i mean she's her money this jar her dignity i mean she's crying on this man's feet and washing his feet with his hair i mean women could you imagine that and then kissing his feet and then anointing with oil. I don't know how many of you have experienced this kind of brokenness before the Lord, this kind of weeping that this lady was experiencing, that I have experienced one time. I don't know. Have you ever experienced that? Um, I was a Christian a long time, and it came to me, it came to a really tough life decision that I was refusing the will of God on my life. And that's when He just came to me and said, I had a choice. As you think about that, if you've ever experienced that, let's continue. Let's see what's going to happen at this dinner party because it's definitely gotten a little interesting now, hasn't it? Some strange things kind of going on. Look at verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. I would imagine this room had been, up to this point, very noisy with conversation, right? Everybody coming in, sitting around the table, a lot of conversations going on, everybody kind of looking to Jesus, hoping he was going to reveal or say something, very noisy, but then probably got kind of quiet, didn't it, when this woman was back there? You imagine? I mean, sitting around that table, and everybody's kind of like, because, you know, you imagine Jesus sitting out there, his feet would be back there. That woman would have been standing back there. Everyone looking at what we assume this lady was probably a prostitute. Weeping. And I don't think weeping, typically weeping isn't real quiet, is it? I mean, there's noise involved for sure. Now this this perfume is now being poured out on Jesus' face. It's, I'm sure this would have been very strong. I assume the aroma of this perfume would have been filling the room. Are you still in the room? Could you imagine that taking place? It would be quite a picture, wouldn't it? I mean, what would be going through your mind if you were sitting at the table and this was taking place, watching this? It would have been awkward. I'm sure it would have been. Culturally, I don't think any of us will ever obviously experience or see something like that take place today. But even here at this church, at maybe at different churches, we do have some, sometimes some different people come in through the doors, don't we? They come to the church. They come here seeking, wondering who Jesus is. And they come here sometimes. We've had some very interesting people come through the door. So what is your heart when sometimes this happens? I mean, this lady was back there weeping and anointing Jesus' feet. But what happens in these doors when someone comes in that isn't like the rest of us? Is doing something that would make us, like, what is that person doing? What's your heart? With this person walking through this door, we've had... I've had especially one individual I can think of. Um, Did that person experience the grace from each one of us that each one of us have received from Jesus? Afterwards, it was interesting, some of the conversations, like, did you know? Yes, I knew. Some of the conversations that took place afterwards. You know, this story here, this Pharisee, this religious man's heart was one of judgment right now. He's both judging Jesus now, and he's also judging the woman. Jesus has now, he's broken, broken the cultural rules, right? We've talked about that in the last few weeks. He's broken the culture. He is not abiding to what culturally would have been acceptable. This was not okay with this woman doing this in their culture. If Jesus was allowing this woman to touch him, obviously this guy's saying he must not be a prophet. Why would he allow this? But the fact, the truth, of Jesus and what he thought was the opposite, wasn't it? Jesus saw this woman, and he knew exactly who she was. Jesus saw this woman, and he knew exactly her heart. And he loved her. This religious leader, this Pharisee, just saw her as a wicked sinner and an unclean person. And Jesus saw her with compassion and with love. It's amazing. Look at verse 40. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Jesus not only knew this woman's heart and her thoughts, but he knew this religious leader's thoughts also. So Jesus now is going to use this man's thoughts, and I'm sure... Others in the room had some interesting thoughts as this was all taking place. I'm sure it wasn't just this Pharisee. I'm sure there was other religious leaders there, we know. But he's gonna use, Jesus is going to use this opportunity to teach a lesson. I'm not sure, but I see a little bit, I don't know. I mean, I could be mistaken, but I see a little bit of a kind of an undertone. As Jesus tells this man, I have something to say to you. And then the man says, Go ahead. I don't know. I see a little bit of an undertone. I think this man was thinking, What could you say to me after you just had this sinful woman touch and kiss your feet? I imagine what this guy was thinking. I'm not sure. But before we move on, I did notice one other thing in the passage. Something has changed in the text. What has changed? How Luke is referring to the man has changed. Before, it was a Pharisee, a religious leader. But now, in the text, he's referring to him by name, Simon. I believe this conversation is starting to change. It's becoming personal. So let's see, now it's becoming much more personal, what Jesus has to say to Simon, and I believe every single one of us, in verses 41 through 42. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one, and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both. Counseling their debts. Who do you supposed loved him more after that? Jesus has presented a question. Who in this story would have loved the man more? Think about it. Who forgave them both? This man, right? He forgave both these people. How would you answer this? I know a lot of you are familiar with the story, but think about how would you answer this? The one who forgave the debt of a few months' wages or the one who has forgiven maybe equivalent almost to two years' worth of wages. Neither man, it says here, was capable, no matter the amount, to repay the debt, big or small. Neither man. It was the same problem for both, right? They couldn't pay it back. They had no med- no ways. Now, also, as you think about this answer... Remember that as it says love in this passage, what is this love? This love is not a emotional in nature. It's not what he's referring to. But it's a real physical response to another person to serve them is the way I see this love. So who would love the man more to serve that other person? Another thing I noticed, a point in this question that Jesus gave, he had two points in the question. He says he kindly forgived them both, but he had another part, counseling their debts. So there's two parts. It's forgiveness, but it's cancellation of the debt. So I think there's a big difference, isn't it? It's not just forgiveness, oh, I forgive you. No, it's canceled. I just imagine the red stamp, canceled, done, gone forever, never to be spoke of again, put away, gone. So two parts, forgiven and canceled, wiped clean forever. Do you think about your answer, let's move on. Let's look at verse 43. Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. So this man responds, this Pharisee responds in a manner, maybe with a little bit of doubt, I suppose. He's like, I suppose. And without any further details given in this story, most of us would probably agree with his answer, I assume. The one who has received the largest the gift of forgiveness is logically probably the one who would return the act of love more. Logically seems right. Jesus even says, yes, that's the correct answer. Do you agree? Let's continue. Let's look at 44 through 46. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears. And wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with a rare perfume. Jesus is now teaching a lesson through this story and explaining some very deep spiritual truths for all of us. I think Luke, he does an amazing job through the Holy Spirit. He really paints a picture that we could read in this text. If you look at the text, you see like the details of it as it's taking place if you were in the room. So you see that you assume that first Jesus was talking to Simon, right? He's asking this Pharisee this question. He's looking at him. But then he says in the text, he says, now Jesus is turned. He turns and he's looking at the woman, right? Looking right at her. But he's still speaking to Simon and probably addressing everyone else in the room, even us in the text. And as he's looking at the woman, he's speaking to others. so it's interesting when you look at the the details in the text. And he begins to rebuke Simon while praising the woman for her response to him, for her worship to him, but rebuking Simon. So it talks about these three courtesies or cultural norms in Jesus' time. The washing of one's feet, a kiss, and an anointing of oil. In Jesus' time, we know these were common ways to show respect, um, hospitality, and generally welcoming a person into your home. This is what would have taken place if you were to welcome a person into your home in Jesus' time. Especially someone that you would respect. Today, I don't think we practice these customs, not that I know of. I haven't been, I've been to a few of your houses. Um, we don't practice this at my house. We have a different customs, don't we? But well, we have our own customs, don't we? If someone comes to your home as a guest, you have cultural norms that you would show to them as respect to welcome them into your home, don't we? Some, sometimes people would come in and i turn on the AC for them because I want them to be comfortable. That's actually, that's, you know, that's something I do because I want them to be comfortable in my home. So I might shut the windows, turn on the air conditioner because normally downstairs I won't run the AC during the day. But if someone's coming over to visit, I'll turn that on. Maybe uh, you'd get them a glass of cold water, you know, right when they come in. Maybe uh, you'd greet them with a hug as they come into your door, shake their hand. It's great to have you over here. Welcome. Maybe some of you would even offer a snack or something to eat. Maybe you got some people from the so- south in here. Give you something to eat. And I was talking to Vicki about it. You'd offer them, obviously, a place to sit down. You don't want them just standing in your entryway. So, again, we have a, a different things that we do, but we still have actions that we take to welcome someone into our home. We don't greet them with a kiss anymore. Uh, culturally, that would be kind of awkward for most of us nowadays, I think. Uh, that was a cultural norm, though, in Jesus' time. So we welcome our guests into our home. And then as we welcome them, it's an act of service to them, isn't it? We're serving them. If it's water, food, whatever we're doing, we're welcoming them, giving them hospitality, we're serving them. So I want to look at an example. Way back in Genesis chapter 18, Genesis 18, verse 1. We're going to look at five verses. Genesis 18, verse 1. The Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Merim. One day, Abraham was sitting at the entrance to his tent during the hottest part of the day. He looked up and noticed three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he ran to meet them and welcomed them, bowing low to the ground. My Lord, he said, if it pleases you, stop here for a while. Rest in the shade of this tree while water is brought to wash your feet. And since you've honored your servant with this visit, let me prepare some food to refresh you before you continue on your journey. So way back there, we see hospitality, custom to welcome someone. There's a lot to that story. That's it. Interesting, too, as I was thinking about it, you know one of the qualifications for an elder pastor or someone serving in the church? It's a gift of hospitality. We must have the gift of hospitality if we are going to serve in the church. So as we look at this story, turn back to Luke 7, we also know this just wasn't anyone that was entering this home. This was Jesus This was Jesus. It was Jesus, the one who was given life, the one who has forgiven our sins. This man didn't even give Jesus the most common courtesies that he would have normally given any guest coming into his home. But this woman washed Jesus' feet with her tears while weeping, then dried his feet with her hair kissing his feet and anointing Jesus with this rare perfume. This was the woman's response to Jesus for who he is and what he had done. It it raises the question, as I just went through all this, what is our response to Jesus daily as he abides in us? Do you worship Jesus? This, This woman was worshiping Jesus. Do we worship Jesus daily? Let's see. Jesus has a little more to say about this. Luke chapter 7, look at 47 and 48. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who has forgiven little shows only a little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. This woman's sins were forgiven And then I find it interesting that Jesus, they don't even shy away from the fact that this woman had a lot of sins. (laughs) He says, her sins were many. She was forgiven for all of her sins. And she had known a lifetime of sin, very likely. But now, she was free from that. Jesus had given this to her, had freed her from that bondage of sin, freed her from the penalty of her sin, had given her a new life. And somehow, this woman, she knew it. She experienced in her heart what many of us have when we come before God in faith, when we know it's it's done. I'm forgiven, truly forgiven. This woman experienced that. And Jesus explains that this person had lived a very sinful life and that even though as sinful as this woman was, she was forgiven. And I'll tell you, I am that person. I am that person. I lived a very sinful life. And when God, I came before God in faith... And I truly surrendered to Him as my Lord, and that was—I I knew I was redeemed. And there's no, there's, there's no words to explain that once you have experienced what it is to truly know that you are redeemed. I don't have words. This forgiveness that I received through faith in Jesus had led me, for me, to give every single thing that I have, everything that I am, to serve Jesus. Everything, and this was that woman. She's, she was there in all ways without reservation, serving her king, our Lord Jesus. And she was doing this out of love. Remember, this was out of love. She came to Jesus in faith, as each one of us come to Jesus in faith. Then we receive the gift of being redeemed, and then our reaction to Jesus for what he's done for us is worshiping him. It's an act of worship. It's in love. And we do, each of us should be doing this daily. 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 I want to share a quote from David Guzik. He says, of the works done in this chapter, this chapter 7, Luke chapter 7, this was the greatest. Healed sickness as a centurion's servant or a restored life as the widow's son are not permanent works of healing because those bodies would one day die again. Sins that are forgiven are forgiven forever. I love that. Let's look at the last two verses for today in Luke. Luke chapter 7, verse 49 and 50. The men at the table said among themselves, Who is this man that goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. These men were asking, Who? By what authority? These men are asking, Who can say this, that these sins are being forgiven? Now that's a decent question, isn't it? That's a fair question. I don't think that's a misappropriated question. By who? And I think a lot of people get that wrong today, which is really unfortunate. They believe they're forgiven in something else than faith in Jesus Christ. So the question is important by who? But Jesus then clearly and boldly speaks Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus is clear that it's through faith in Him that we can have peace, knowing that our sins are forgiven. And that through this, through this should lead us to show love to Jesus by worshiping him for what he has done in our lives. So in this passage, as we read a question, a question presented by these religious leaders, who is this man that goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus answers again, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I just love this, that we each can live in peace, knowing that we are forgiven of our sins. Just as this woman, knowing that Jesus has done this for us, again, this is what leads us to worship. The same as this woman was worshiping Jesus. Laying all that we are, laying all that we know, all that we've done, just laying it at his feet, like this woman. This woman, before the world, before these leaders, she had just come at Jesus' feet. She had a new life. She was freed from the sin. I want to read a quote, another one from Warren Worsby. It says, Jesus did not reject either the woman's tears or her gift of anointment because her works were the evidence of her faith. Faith without works is dead. We are not saved by faith plus works. We are saved by a faith that leads to works. The anonymous woman illustrates the truth of Galatians 5.6. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Through faith in Jesus, this woman was freed from her sins just as each one of us are. And this gift from Jesus, again, is this gift from Jesus leading each of you to love Jesus and to worship him in this way? Are you doing this? It's a question. Heavenly Father... I just thank you for this parable that you've given us, Lord. Lord, I just pray that each one of us, Lord, would look and learn from this, Lord, and, Lord, that we would worship you knowing what you've done for each one of us. Lord, as I see this woman who is just at your feet, Lord, she's worshiping you with just out-reservation. Lord, I pray that each of our lives would be a form of worship to you in all areas without reservation, that we would hold nothing back like this woman, Lord, and, what I can imagine this taking place, sitting at that table, and this woman, she just wanted to be at your feet. Lord, let that be the desire of each of our hearts, Lord, that we would know that what you've done for us would just draw us to worship, to love you, that our faith in you would lead to worship of what you've done for us. I just thank you for this, Lord, and I thank you for this promise you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.